0: Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94. Cricket every day. I'm Daniel Norcross from Test Match Special, VT Sport, Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Zero Ducks Given, a podcast with Toby Tarrant and Stephen Finn. And I am joined as ever by the wiff waff, the big man, the puff pastry hangman himself. <laughs> it's Rory Dollard, the chief cricket writer of the Press Association. Uh, England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for England cricket content and we will be dropping into your podcast feed or on YouTube and or on YouTube or the 99.94 app three times every week. Thanks for joining Cricket's conversation. Today we are going to be discussing England's first T20 out of seven against Pakistan on that historic first tour for 17 years. We'll be looking at the announcement of the Ashes venues and uh, both men's and women's Two series are going to be squeezed into a pretty short time frame, and we will also be casting our eye over a pretty poor start to England's women's ODI series against India. They've lost two out of the first three. They can't win the series, but they've got a big match coming up at Lords on Saturday. So, Rory, let's begin with that match. Uh, well, in hey Karachi.
1: Before we hey. start, before we start, I do have to ask you actually uh, about. I've looked into this Zero Ducks Given podcast that you talk about and it seems that you host oh, yeah. it seems that with Stephen Finn. Are you going to have to cancel that if he becomes England's new selector? Has he given you the info?
0: Well, it's a very, very good point. The official line is that he has no interest in the job whatsoever and uh, I think it was Tim Wigmore who wrote the article. Um, no, there's going to be no <laughs> Finney for England. Certainly no, not yet. Apart from anything else. Well, you, you can't keep playing for Sussex and be a, a selector.
1: Well, and most the, the, of his best
0: mates are still playing in the game.
1: Well, the only thing is for Stephen Finn is if he does become the new national selector and he wants to continue being a player, he could just pick himself for England. That'd be best case all around, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I don't know how much he really wants to go and play a Test match cricket for England.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he watched well, the Ashes as well, as The well, occasional
0: they? T20. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, okay, I mean, we, like we can knock that one on the on head person. then.
1: That one's gone. Okay.
0: Yes, I don't think it'd be. I, I, I'm at the Oval, actually, today, watching Surrey attempt to snare their 21st county championship title uh, by beating Yorkshire, if they can do that. And I would think that there's probably more likely to be the national selector might come from this neck of the woods.
1: Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I've heard, I,
0: I have heard nothing, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if the son of the man after whom the pavilion is named here might might be in the running. But, you know, look, time will tell. Let's get on to Pakistan. Uh, it is an historic tour. Seventeen years since England were last there. They're playing seven matches, which feels like overkill. But uh, there's partly a reason for that: is that England didn't fulfil their obligations last year, so they've added some matches onto what would otherwise have been a fairly standard T20 tour. And they started in pretty good style, haven't they, Rory?
1: Yeah, I think England did really well. Actually, it was it was tempting to look at that game as an occasion more than a match and and there's good reason for that as you say England haven't been to Pakistan since 2005 they've bailed out last year on a tour that was uh, the people over there were, were greatly looking forward to and of course when you start looking at the security convoys and stuff it can feel more like an event than a match a game of cricket so it, but when there's a when there's a ball hurled down at, at 22, well, 22 yards it becomes a game of cricket pretty fast doesn't it and England did pretty well actually, and if you looked at the, you could you could have knocked up a pretty good team of players who weren't on the park for England. Be it Josh Butler, Liam Livingston, Chris Walks, Mark Wood, Chris Jordan, Ben Stokes, they had the the guts of their first choice team. You're know, scattered around. Some of them were in bibs in Karachi. Some of them were at home resting up. Some of them are recuperating. So to to knock off Pakistan in their home conditions against you know when they were pretty well drilled I suppose from the Asia Cup. It was not a bad effort at all. The 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 in-game narrative was Alex Hales back in back in the saddle after three years and and he went he went nicely sort of I'd hesitate to call it a match winning 50. And you, you you can do that in T twenties if a if you're chasing a middling total and Oprah gets a 50, you can call that the match winning knock I'm not sure it was quite that decisive it was pretty good effort but the ballers did really well to drag Pakistan back and actually I would say Harry Brooks innings as the finisher in that match was probably the sort of the decisive hand if I'm honest
0: yeah I think I'd agree with that and and also I've got to say Luke Wood um, what I found really noticeable was at the back end of Pakistan's innings when they they had been dragged back by the spinners, which wasn't an enormous surprise. They got off to a flyer with Barbara Azam and Mohamed Rizwan at the top of the order uh, against David Willey predominantly. But England's two other left armers, you're going with three left armers yeah. in this game Sam Curran and Luke Wood. I think what I found particularly gratifying was that both of them conceded a six off the first ball of their last overs. Mm. And Pakistan could actually quite easily have made it to about 170, 175, especially the way those overs panned out. But they both came back in those overs, both picked up wickets in those overs, both bowled dot balls, no more boundaries were bowled off those overs. That showed fantastic game awareness, it seemed to me, that they were in a situation where they were under pressure, where having dragged Pakistan back, it could so easily. And and 175 would have been, I think, a tough tough task. But Luke Wood especially, we come to expect it from Sam Curran. He's been around a very long time. Um, He's played a lot of high-level T20 cricket, not just for... And still doing his GCSEs. So
1: so amazing that he's... Yeah, uh... angrily.
0: Angrily, don't forget, comes snarling in when he comes to do his geography GCSE. He
1: does, he does. Uh,
0: And yet they, they, they show great composure. And Luke Wood, some serious speed as well. I mean, I've... Been Watching him for the last couple of years, wondering why people haven't been talking about him. I think it's marvelous that he's gone into that England setup, picked up yeah. three wickets on debut, didn't look at all phased.
1: Yeah, and the first one was a proper uh, one for the family album. It was, you know, round the wicket, knock the pole, flying out of the ground. That if you're going to open your account, that's the way to do it. Uh, and, and he, I mean, I suppose he is something of a success for the 100. We, we said a few weeks ago that maybe this year's 100 hadn't thrown up a, a big England candidate a really overwhelming one, like Liam Livingstone last year, perhaps. But Luke Wood was a, a regular, consistent, strong performer. He's got his shot largely through injuries and unavailability. And at first time I've him, really nicely, and he's bowled at tricky periods. He's bowled up at the top against the numbers one and three in the world. And then he's he's come back at the end in a period where England seamers haven't been doing fantastically well at the death, sort of over the last 12 months, say. And he's, he's given himself
0: a shot. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's bowling where England have got way more headaches, isn't it? Uh, going into an Australian World T20 with so many of their bowlers. We've discussed it on previous podcasts. I don't think I've ever seen a squad selected mm. with so many caveats, so many uncertainties.
1: Held together by sellotape, uh, isn't
0: it? Well, sellotape, duct tape, masking tape. Uh, and in in the case of tack. We'll Timmerl take sponsors Mills's from anywhere, won't we? Toe, yeah. Superglue <laughs> I think is in there as well. Uh, so yes, I mean that that has been tremendous, but um they do also have an issue at the top of the order and they have called for Alex Hales. And that 50 was I thought a very well judged 50. I'm not I, I agree with you actually. I don't think it was match winning. I think there were other factors involved not least the bowling and Harry Brooks at Brook at the end. But you know, it, it, I again I thought he showed a fair bit of composure there. There could have been a sort of Saber rattling, angry, screw you type 50, Mm. you know, where he tries to smash everything out of the park. But actually, he he gauged what was required. It was a relatively modest total, not super modest, but, you know, um, it didn't require him to go berserk. And he played the match situation really well, like he'd never been away.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, he was, I think he was dropped on 28, uh, and that would have been a pretty inconsequential knock, probably. But actually, this series, he's got experience, scored a lot of runs in Pakistan, so he should be able to slip into the groove because he knows that... I think he's played more cricket in Pakistan than anyone in the England squad. Um, But I suppose the feeling is that, actually, Alex Hales might really, really come into his own in Australia. And his ability to hit hard square on both sides of the wicket, that could be the thing where he comes into his own. So if he can sort of get through this seven match series with his place sewn up England might be really hoping to see him fly come tournament time
0: well there are six more matches and there's every chance that he's going to play I would think mm. possibly even all of them so he's got a really good chance to stake his claim to yeah. that spot he's, do, he's of done order. enough
1: sitting on the sidelines um, hasn't he
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah mind you you never know with the ECB uh, this round of county championship matches Jack Leach is not playing in about two overs in the previous <laughs> test match. Um, there's there's also no sign of Joe Root. Uh, but I am delighted to say, because I'm recording today from the Oval, where Surrey are making their assault on that 21st county Championship title, uh, that Ollie Pope and Ben folks are both playing. And, uh, and at this very moment, Surrey have just picked up a fifth, the Yorkshire wicket. So things are going very nicely there. Now then, You are listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, we have England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 99.94 DM by downloading the 99.94 app or Google 99.94 on podcasts. We speak the language of cricket. Rory and Well, our next one to dwell on is the announcement of the Ashes venues for both women and for the men. We had an idea, didn't we, that the women's matches were going to be uh, sent out to larger grounds. Um, Taunton still gets a bit of a look-in. I think Bristol still has a look-in, but the headlines are like T20 matches at the Oval, Mm -hmm. an an England women's T20 match at the Oval, and a five-day test match, praise be, at last, when England's men play a four-day game against Ireland the women are playing a five-day match against Australia.
1: Yeah, so the idea that they would get get into some bigger venues uh, as well as the Oval, they're playing T20s at Lords and Edgbaston, first time, all good news. But I think the unexpected part was, I, I don't know that people were thinking this five-day test was going to become a reality because we are, how many? Five, six months on from the ICC chair, Greg Barkley, saying that, He couldn't envisage women's test matches evolving. He didn't think they were a part of the landscape to any great degree. And that did cause some frustration and annoyance, I think. But to go from the ICC chair saying that a few months ago in the Lords press box to England and Australia agreeing a five-day test match, it's fantastic. So it's the first one ever in England. England. They've played one before in 1992 in Sydney which when you when mm-hmm. you top of the rain and the number of overs bowled it was more like a two and a half day match so it doesn't quite count so you know when you look at some of the recent test matches that England have been involved in they've almost all of them have f- flirted at the idea of getting to a, con- a con- big conclusion a a big result and just fallen short of time a little bit of rain come out of the game just makes it hard so to to think the idea that the the centerpiece of this multi-format ashes is going to almost certainly be allowed to play out. It just threatens to be really exciting. And it's it's quite nice, isn't it, that because of the shed, the uh, allocation of games, Trent Bridge, which is an absolutely fantastic venue, probably my favourite for Test cricket, it's, it was going to miss out on a men's Ashes series with the allocation, and it's got an Ashes Test match, and it's a big one for the women. It sounds fantastic.
0: Well, I'm not going to let that heresy pass because the best venue for test cricket is obviously the Oval, but, um, uh, but I'll take your point. And I think there's actually a very good argument, isn't there, that women's tests need five days, actually more than men's tests at the moment. The way oh, yeah. uh, bowling around the world has been so penetrative in men's cricket. We saw the series against South Africa where two games are basically done and dusted inside, two days' worth of playing time. Uh, the issue that women's tests have is that actually the, the batters are on top of the bowlers at the moment, in this phase of women's cricket. So they actually do need a fifth day to force a result, especially when you're playing against the likes of Australia, albeit an Australia that will not have Rachel Haynes. So she will not be sticking around for days on end. But look, it it makes an enormous amount of sense. But where do you stand, though, on um, how the other venues, venues like Worcester, Hove, uh, Northampton, Chelmsford, for example, that have been long-time supporters of women's cricket. How do you feel about the fact that you know they will not be getting games? Is this just the way the cookie crumbles? Are they victims, if you like, of their own success and women's cricket success? Is this the right thing to do? I suppose only time will tell. But playing out on the in those big big venues, they've got to get enough bums on seats, haven't
1: they? They do, and and. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't. I, I think the idea that you should, in perpetuity, play at the same grounds because it has worked it is, is not really. It doesn't really hold a lot of water. I interviewed Heather Knight uh, about about the announcement and about the bigger grounds, the five-day test, and I, I just would like to read you a little bit of what she said, if you know, if anyone's wondering. Oh yes. If it's the right decision or if if this thing is a, a good idea, and so she said. I'll just read out to you. You know, I'm so happy. I've been banging the drum for five days for a long time. It's a special moment. This feels like the right time for five days for bigger grounds. And it's been a long time coming. Uh, I spent most of my career being grateful for whatever we were given. When I started out, anything was a bonus. You were happy to be playing the sport you love for England and not even getting paid. But my eyes have opened a bit. Moving forward on equal footing is a logical progression. Well, good luck telling me you disagree with that because they've done everything they possibly can to make themselves a viable, interesting, entertaining product. And, you know, with, with that being done and that being said, open the doors, open the gates, let's see what they can do. Because we saw the in Australia with the World T20, what you can do with a bit of a bigger stage. And I really do get the feeling that because that, that first Ashes test, the women's test sits in between tests one and two in the men's Ashes, I just think it could really get momentum and snowball. Could be great.
0: I agree. the um, The way the fixtures have been arranged, I know a lot of people will be angry about the fact that the last Test match ends on the thirty first of July. That's the last men's Test. Um, But the way they've rather cleverly interwoven the Ashes Test matches, uh, Ashes matches for both men's and women's, I think is marvellous. I think we're going to get a real opportunity in an odd numbered year by which I mean a year that's not blighted by a football tournament. A really good opportunity for there to be some sort of two months of wall-to-wall, high-end cricket that really matters. And look, I'm in agreement with you, actually. I think the success of the Women's 100 has proved the appetite for women's cricket in this country. And this is the perfect opportunity to, to stress test it at a higher level. Uh, I think it'll be superb. Let's just have a little look, though, at, at the men's fixtures, because they are coming thick and fast out. The devil is in a little bit of the detail that's not been announced, actually. So while England play against Ireland in a four-day game, I don't know whether that's patronising or whether that's actually sensible. Possibly the latter. I don't know. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Um, That, of course, will take place at Lord's. There is then a gap of pretty much two weeks before England play again, but there could very well be a gap of one week after England play Ireland or slightly less when Australia play in the World Test Championship Final, they're very well positioned for that. It will take place at the finest test ground in uh, Britain, uh, the oldest test venue in London, by which I mean, of course, the Mickey Stewart Oval. And uh, it's so named for one week. <laughs> <but it won't laughs> well, but you're you're in that year. week,
1: so you're right. You're not wrong.
0: Uh, exactly. Uh, which, again, is a, a lovely little development. But it means Australia will have a warm-up match, if you like, and the warm-up match will be a world championship final there's mm-hmm. every chance of that happening and then bless them they've got to play five games in well breakneck speed isn't it they start on this like 16th of June and end on the 31st of July so Australia yeah. could very easily find themselves playing six test matches in seven weeks that's really going to test their resources it's going to test England's resources as well make no bones about it and and all of this is so that everything can be completed by the end of July and there will be a window for the hundred. Now, where do you stand on that? I know it's vexed a lot of people. Where do you stand?
1: I don't know that it's entirely... They say it's not entirely because of the 100, but I'm sure there's nobody in the ECB marketing department who are crying salt tears about the fact that the 100 gets a window. But I suppose I'm at the stage thinking now that perfect is gone. The perfect schedule has gone. We can talk another time about the domestic suggestions for domestic cricket that have just come out with Andrew Strauss but it's going to have to be doing the best you can with the pieces you've got on the board what we've got is pretty good I think it's going to be hard but we're, we're well into the idea that I mean the last time Australia were here for the Ashes they rotated their fast bowlers fantastically like the way that Australia rotated their fast bowlers over a pretty a pretty congested Ashes series was was part of their winning strategy it it got them it made made them sort of strong and competitive every single week england are trying to build up that battery likewise and i think the idea that we could have a leisurely ashes that unfolds over two and a half months geez it's gone it just sounds lovely and they can have a tour match in between the third and fourth test and a testimonial like michael vaughan had uh, it's gone. It's gone for, the, gone for the past. We're going to get a really good Ashes. Women's is thrown in there. They're going to dovetail nicely, like you said. And I think we have to say it's uh, it's going to be a good summer of, of international cricket. And if it could be 10% better, it's probably not the headline.
0: I tell you, though, talk about cricket a burnout, talk about player burnout. When we get together for a drink on the 31st of July <laughs> next year... We, we, are, we will have lost a stone in weight, we will be wizened, we'll have aged 10 years. It'll, will someone spare a thought for the broadcasters <laughs> and the writers? Now then, if you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all our announcements by following us on social media at 9994 DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation, Rory. Um, we're just going to play out today with some reflections on England's women. We've talked a lot about them and the opportunities they have next year in the Ashes, but my word, they've made a wretched start to their three-match ODI series against India, and there are mitigating circumstances. They're yeah. missing their captain, Heather Knight, who has been captain for a long time now and is a really significant, important player, both on and off the pitch. And they're missing the married couple of Brunton and uh, Nat Siver, who in their different ways, are already legends of English women's cricket. So those are three massive holes in the side. But at the same time, a bit disappointed to see the way they capitulated first at Hove, just didn't get enough runs on the board. And then secondly, at Canterbury, when Harman Preet Corps played an innings of majestic and sublime brilliance, but really exposed, I guess, England's next generation. Um, They're inexperienced and they looked a bit frail, I thought.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you say it's a bad start to the series. Well, the series is gone. 2-0, one to play. They have a big, you know, it's their first... Uh, the, the final match of the series is their first visit to Lords since the World Cup final of, of 17. And it's a bit of a bust because the series is gone. If they could have taken that as a decider, last international fixture of the English summer, you know, series up for grabs, it could have been a real nice one, that. And it's it's unfortunately going to fall a little bit flatter than that because the series has gone. Having said that, I cannot help but think that Freya Kemp, and Lauren Bell, people like that, are going to be better for <laughs> being on the wrong end of Harman Preetko and, and Samriti Mandana these last few days because there's one thing earning your shot and earning the right to get there, but being out there and finding life a little bit trickier than you thought it might be is can be more useful. And looking at their figures from the last the second game, Lauren Bell was 10 overs one for 79. Frey Kemp ten overs one for 82. They're pretty brutal, pretty brutal numbers. But, you know, make no mistake, those are the players who are going to be carrying England forward in the coming years. And it's that's the standard. They need to know that, and, and now they do. So they are, as well as, I think it's in terms of mitigation, as well as the players who are absent, these players are trucking on. They're still here. And we have talked before about the the, the intense loads that they've put in. They've had a Commonwealth Games, which was an extra thing thrown in straight into the 100. They did a lot of bubbles. They're probably a, a wee bit jaded, and a wee bit tired, but they're still there, still going. And they have probably learned a bit. And if you learn a bit from defeat, that's absolutely fine. Lords on some days also, uh, Lisa Kightley's last match in charge. So there will be a natural bit of change and there'll be things to learn and things to assess. So plenty to play for because when they go out, ending that summer on a high at Lords with a win against a team that they now know pretty, pretty good and, and have some real class acts. That's plenty to play for. Absolutely no, no issue there at all.
0: I, I've been actually really delighted on the flip side, by the way India have played. Um, Mitali Raj was an absolute legend of Indian cricket and uh, there's no doubt that, uh, no doubting her importance, I guess, to the game. But it was time that she moved on. Uh, we're about to see the end probably of Julan Goswami mm-hmm. as well. And I think actually under Harman Preet, India are playing the kind of cricket that they've been itching to play, but have just been held back a little bit by the sort of traditional verities of Mitali Raj over the last few years. And now they can unleash their potential. And also, you know, when an Indian audience gets to see what Harman Preet did at the back end of her innings, 41 <laughs> off her last 11 balls. I mean, absolutely fantastic. If that doesn't get the appetite for a women's IPL yeah, yeah. properly up and running, if that doesn't really inspire India to get right in behind women's cricket, which is the next big game changer for that sport, um, then I don't really know what will. So, look, there are positives for the actual game itself and that will filter into all countries' women's cricket. But um, Australia and England will be, you'd think, the, the quickest beneficiaries uh, of that were it to happen. Uh, look, Rory, I'm going to... Depart. I've got some commentary duties to do today. I'm uh, on the Surrey live stream. I'm very excited because this could be the day, as I keep saying, this could be the day that Surrey win their 21st title. Um, and I'm going to do some work. We'll be back in the next few days or so. Um, looking back, I would imagine, on more of those T20s between England and Pakistan. And uh, raking over the high performance review. What might that mean for the England senior team? What might it mean for the whole structure of English cricket once we've had a proper chance to digest the details of that we will be back with our thoughts thank you for listening to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket every day please if you can rate review and subscribe download the 99.94 app and follow us personally on at Norcross Cricket as in neither angry nor cross Norcross Cricket and Rory uh, your crazy handle.
1: It's not crazy. I dispute that. It's at the RVD. There's a lot of logic to it, which I will...
0: It, it sounds like a sexually transmitted disease.
1: Uh, it's... No comment? Is that about the right thing to say at this point?
0: I don't know. <laughs> you chose it. I don't know.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, at I'm, the I'm, RVD. Much, I'm much less contagious than that.
0: That's really good to know. Uh, We'll be putting up links for everything we do on there on this podcast and beyond. Also, follow our network at 9994DM on social media. Follow for podcasts and commentary from the bat and ball world. Thank you for joining Cricket's conversation on 99.94. We speak cricket. Till the next time, goodbye.